0: Following is part of the A1 Wrestling.com podcast family. Welcome back, wrestling fans, to Classic Wrestling Memories. You're at ClassicWrestlingMemories.com, part of the A1 Wrestling.com podcast family. We're here to talk some old-school wrestling, some wrestling memories, and really a, a bit of wrestling philosophy. You know, this is the type of content that I believe you're not going to get in very many other wrestling podcasts. And last week, we teased it. We talked Babyface 101 and the psychology that goes into being the babyface, the hero, the, the good guy. This week, we're dabbling in the dark side. This episode is Heel 101, What Makes the Villain? And of course, that really does have the question right off the bat, what makes a heel? You know, the heel is the bad guy, the villain that in wrestling you want to see lose or get beat up. And here joining me on this conversation, as usual, we have from the asylum in South Kakalaki, Crazy
1: Train Jonathan Bullock. All aboard, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Yeah, I guess we are going to take a a walk on the uh, dark side this week. See how that goes. I think uh, last week when we talked about, you know, the light side worked well, so maybe this will work out too.
0: So the show is heel 101, which then bodes the question, what makes a heel? You know, the heel, quite simply, is the bad guy. And in wrestling, he's the guy that you want to see lose, or sometimes, in many cases, just you know, flat out get beat up by the good guys. I mean, is that a simple enough explanation?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, I think that, um, just like we discussed last week, the idea of, of a clean cut, You know, just straight up black and white, good versus evil, uh, is not as in vogue as it used to be. But I I reiterate that if you look back throughout the history of wrestling, doesn't matter the territory, doesn't matter the era, the the biggest money drawing uh, periods in the history of wrestling involved a good guy that the fans were totally behind and a bad guy they wanted to see him beat up. That has never changed. Uh, I think that is. You know, key and essential to what I like about pro wrestling. Uh, I think it's part of why I don't like a lot of the current product because that area is too gray. Um, And like I said, history would bear out that I'm correct. Um, But I also think that heels and what makes a great heel and and what a heel is, I think even back in the day, um, smart fans don't understand it as much as they think they do. Uh, And maybe we can clear some of that up without me you know, getting some old-timers mad at me for quote-unquote smartening people up. But we'll see how it goes as we talk. Yeah, we still don't want to pull the curtain back too far, right? Right. <laughs> uh, it's like like Dutch Mantell said, the toothpaste is out of the tube. You can't put it back in. So, Well, Train,
0: uh, like I did last week with the four things a baby face never does and four things the baby face always does, I have four here for the heel. So I'll okay. uh, list them out for you if you want to give me your opinion. Number one, a heel never admits the babyface was the better man. You know, at, at best, they're going to say that there was a fluke, or you know, you know, slipped on a banana peel, or something to that that effect. Uh, number two, a heel never acknowledges the fan support. I mean, they they may say that the the babyface you know sucks up to the fans and all that, but the fans don't put food on my table. A heel never takes the blame for a situation, whether it's losing the match or things not going his way it's never his fault and a heel never tells the complete truth there's always a warp spin on the fa- on the facts there's a mountain being built out of the mole- molehill and uh so those are four i think traits that a heel never does now there there are exceptions of course they you know the these these are rules not not uh absolutes but a heel always number 1 a heel always has an underhanded plan in place, even if they start out fighting fair. Number two, a heel always tries to control the match, even not necessarily to win in the way the babyface does, does. Number three, a heel always stalks his prey when he's in control of the match. And number four, a heel will always cheat to win the fair fight. You know, if, they, if they're in danger of losing, that's when the cheating starts. It's not necessarily cheating out of the gate. So those are eight traits, four things a heel would never do, and four things a heel always does. How'd I do?
1: Not bad. Um, I think the, the key factor is the last thing you said. And I think a lot, of pe- a lot of people, when they start wrestling, they don't understand that. And I know a lot of the fans understand that because I've, I've seen it. I've asked guys when they're in training, what makes a heel a heel? Why does a heel start to quote unquote heel using that word as a verb? And they'll give you a thousand answers like your four things they always do and the four things they never do. And it's quite simply, and quite frankly, the last thing you said. A heel will turn to underhanded tactics when they can't out wrestle, out think, or out quick the babyface. That's simple. That's what makes a heel. Not very complicated, you know? <laughs> it
0: goes back to not admitting that the, the good guy's the better man, you know?
1: Right. It's, it's just all the things you listed are ways that they might, you know, express or, or display that, that one thing we're talking about. But essentially, that's the key to a heel. A babyface would never, even when he's being outmatched, a babyface puts up the value of fight, like we talked about last week. Mm-hmm. The heel doesn't have qualms with that, with with not, you know, with going underhanded, doing whatever he has to do. Um, I've heard Jim Ross say he, you you need to take the seven deadly sins. You know, all all spiritual or religious beliefs aside, I think we all can agree that the concept of what the seven deadly sins are are a, a pretty decent, you know, moral compass on what's right and what's wrong. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And when you can apply those traits that are described in the seven deadly sins, like, you know, greed and, um, uh, pride and things like that, when you can apply those on your bad guys, now you're, 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 you're giving them a reason to, to or, or, um, you know, an explanation as to why they're going to go that extra route and cheat. And now you've got people who have, a, a a moral sense of right and wrong in their heart going, I don't, don't like that. I want to see him get beat up. Now, now you're talking. You got that personal, emotional investment that we talk about is so important in wrestling right there because of that. Many old timers and a lot of promoters and bookers will you know, say the heel is the most important thing. And I don't necessarily disagree with them, but I will be the first to admit I'm biased being a almost career long babyface, I only healed for a very short time At the beginning of my career, and I wasn't very effective, quite frankly, which is probably you know why I was I switched babyface, and it just never seemed right to ever switch me back heel. I discussed it with promoters I worked for and bookers I worked for. It just didn't ever seem right. Um, Some people we listed those last week are just lifelong babyfaces, or the bulk of their career. They just they don't have it in them, and people don't want to boo them. Right. And the same can be said for bad guys. There's just some guys. That never ever walk on the light side. They're heels their entire career, you know. And we'll discuss some of those later on as we continue this discussion. And some of them, you know, they'll they'll vacillate back and forth between the two. Right, um, right.
0: There, there's a few on on my list that did not make my list simply because they were effective at both. You know, the mm-hmm. the, the, the mm-hmm. three we're going to talk about have, have
1: that we're each going to talk about really have been heels the vast majority of their career. Right. I mean, uh, don't get me wrong from a business standpoint, and it, it probably is better to be uh, equally effective at both because you just you're more universally uh, you can be used much more easily by a booker. I mean, I'm sure a booker putting myself in my creative shoes and some of the booking I've done. It's much easier if I got a guy I know can go out there and get over as a baby face and get the crowd to love him or can get over as a heel and get heat, you know, mm-hmm. and get the crowd to hate him. That, that's much easier. It's, it's, it's a Swiss Army knife as opposed to a unitasker, you know. So <laughs> those guys are nice, but, um, it, it's, I'll be interested to see as we talk about heels. I so once again, I'm not, I'm not speaking as much from experience, uh, when we discuss this as I was when we talked last week about baby faces, but obviously I wrestled a lot of good heels. Uh, so it isn't like I'm unfamiliar with what they got to do. And I, 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 you know, the common practice in wrestling, at least historically speaking was the heel called the match. Because right. he was usually the veteran and things like that. Unfortunately, oh, when I came up, that was going away and I had to call a lot of matches. I often got put in, especially later in my career, with guys who were just greener than me. So I had to call the match and dictate the pace, which is also, I think, more comfortable for some guys because I have such an unorthodox gimmick. Um, and it's very comedy-based, so I don't know if they're comfortable calling things with a, with a guy like me. So... With that being said, obviously, I learned how to call heel spots. You know, I learned how to, to tell the guys to do things to me that got them heel heat. So um, I'm not an expert uh, like I was on baby faces, but I don't think I'm, I'm a bad voice, if you understand what I'm saying.
0: Right, right. You, you know, I, I think you summed it up pretty well that while you may not have been a heel very much, you've worked with them and thus know how to react and flow with heel mm-hmm. tactics
1: that were used against you. Right, right. I, I guess you, you kind of were seeing what I was going with the with the seven deadly sins. I mean, mm-hmm. like I said, all, all spiritual or religious beliefs aside, don't you think that's a pretty good moral compass for what, what universally is considered? That's just not a nice thing to do. Right, absolutely. And I think as you kind of keep that, listeners, in the back of your mind, wrestling fans, as we talk about this and we talk about specific inc- incidences and exper- you know, um, examples from these different heels we're going to discuss. I think you'll be able to go, oh, that's pride or that's sloth or whatever. And then it kind of, you know, you kind of can visualize a little bit better. You know, you talk about guys that y- you could rely on,
0: you know, quick, very famous story that I remember reading in, uh, I, I forget whose, whose book it was, but it was in the late 1970s. And uh-huh. it was a young Sergeant Slaughter coming into work for uh, Vince Sr., you know, for mm-hmm. uh, Vincent J. McMahon, Vincent McMahon's father. And if I'm remembering the story right, his opponent, Sarge's opponent, uh, couldn't make it or canceled or, or something to that effect. And Vince Sr. was like, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't have an opponent for you. you know, I, mean, I don't think you can wrestle tonight. And Sarge just said, give me a microphone. And he went out there and did the classic Sarge's slaughter, you maggots, you you slime, you scum. The uh, heel promo. His yeah. heel promo. Right. Because he and, was
1: a guy that was effective as both. He's one of those examples.
0: Yeah, that's that's why he's not on my, my, my top three list, but
1: I personally preferred him as a heel. Yeah. Uh, but I, but when he was a baby face, I mean, he was drew a lot of money for, for goodness sakes, you know, Hasbro signed into the GI Joe deal. So that says something, doesn't it?
0: Right. But then the, he got backstage after that and Vince senior was like, man, I've never seen somebody get, get over so much just with a promo. So, right. some, something to that effect. I don't know how accurate that story is, but the, the gist of it was true, mm-hmm. you Neo, know, is true.
1: Yeah, but that, that's what, you know, that's once again, we talked that on the babyface. That's kind of a lost art form, I think, uh, mm-hmm. with the overscripted nature of today's product. Guys had to be able to talk people into the building or at least get you interested enough to come see the match. Well, if you're a babyface, you're trying to get them to come see you kick the, the heels butt. If mm-hmm. you're a heel, your job is to piss them off so bad that they're willing to get out of their house drive down to a building and pay money to see you get your butt kicked. Right. Just on that hope. So think about that. That's a, a kind of a, an impressive feat if you're effective at it.
0: Right. And I have heard from several people who worked in the business and you've told me this too, train a lot of the workers actually prefer being healed because it's easier.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, you did usually you dictate the match. You, you know, you call the match generally speaking. Like I said, These are no, these are not absolutes. These are, these are rules that have, there are exceptions. Um and it's it's quite frankly, it's I love an example that Stone Cold Steve Austin used on why he preferred healing over babyfacing. Though we talked last week he was one of the most effective and best baby faces of all time. Uh he was a darn good heel before he, you know, he turned babyface there at the end of his run. He was a heel the whole time up till then and was a very right. good one. Yes. Uh but you know, as a heel, things happen. Wrestlers were not perfect. We we'll trip on the way to the ring and We'll make mistakes. And when you're a heel, if you know how to work it right, you'll get even more heat off of it because you, you, you got egg on your face. Whereas a baby face, they can't do that. You know, they have to be the paragon all the time. I was fortunate because of my gimmick. To, I could get a little egg on my face and play it off and the crowd would laugh and I'd still get over as a baby face. But a lot of baby faces don't have that luxury. And a heel always has that backdoor. So even in their, so if you think about it, even in their ability to do what they do, they have a back door that maybe faces don't. So that's a unique way to look at it. I think there is a, a huge misconception about what a heel is. I hear that all the time. Um, what are your thoughts on someone like, say, Brock Lesnar being a heel? Is he a heel to you, Seth?
0: I think they try to make him a heel in the way that he's a bully. Mm-hmm. He, You know, he's he's bigger. He's stronger than everybody. He, you know, he'll he'll uh, push people around. But Brock Lesnar is a legitimate badass. And in wrestling, okay. if the crowd perceives you as a legitimate badass, then the respect and the cheers will will come in time. Because here's a mm. big thing. We, we said before, he'll cheats to win the fair fight. When's the last time you've seen Brock Lesnar cheat? Exactly my point. I, I'm glad yeah, you brought I can't that think up, of one. and not me.
1: I, I, that's my, the misconception. I, two examples, I'll, another examples I'll use a lot. Um, Chief Wahoo McDaniel, uh, big, strong, tough guy, right? Um, a lot of people say, well, he was he was he was a tweener or a heel. No, he was a baby face, dude. Right. I watched the end of his career here in the Mid-Atlantic territory. He was a baby face. I mean, when he wanted to heel, he was a good heel. But he's, he's, he's another great example of a guy that I think people think, just because you're big and you're strong and you're tough, oh, you're a heel. No, you're not. Uh, G- Bill Goldberg. What has anything Bill Goldberg done heelish, ever?
0: Well, they try, he had tried to make him heel in, in WCW, and that, that, I think that's why it failed, because he just did it's not look minutes. like a heel.
1: Mm-hmm. But once again, the way you described Brock Lesnar could be applied to both Wahoo McDaniel and Bill Goldberg. Big, strong, legitimate, badass guys who were tough and didn't take no crap from nobody. But why are they all universally kind of seen as baby faces and Brock isn't? That's what drives me absolutely insane with some of the some of the newer school fans. Is like, what has he done that makes me want to hate him? He's a big tough guy who comes out and says he's going to kick people's butts, and then he comes out and he does it, and he never cheats when he does. That merits my my cheers and praise, not my hatred and villainy. Just saying. I think the only thing, at
0: least that I can think of offhand that could have been considered heelish that Brock did was he, he would do the thing where he tease getting into the ring and then walk away.
1: Is that gamesmanship or is that healing? Or, you know, a, now, now don't grant it, it. They have made him a heel. Yes. Remember in his first run, when he pushed Zach that Gowan down the stairs in his wheelchair, that's heelish, right? That's being a bully. and And I just don't see how a lot of the people. And once again, I think it goes to the problems with current wrestling, as opposed to these guys we're going to talk about from the past is that, the business as a whole has forgotten what a heel is. Mm -hmm. If you think Brock Lesnar is a heel, well, wrestling state's in a much worse place than I thought it was. Because there's nothing he does, and as we discuss and give examples, I think I want people to have that in the back of their minds too. And go, is this a pride of Brock Lesnar? Or any other, there's a lot of other guys I can name too, but he's obviously the biggest star in the business right now. And I think a lot of fans perceive him as a heel, and he's not. I don't care. The only thing heelish about Brock Lesnar is that Paul Heyman is his manager. Right. But yet
0: you notice who you, you could make the argument that the current feud they're doing now with Samoa Joe, you could argue that Joe's the one that's a heel because he choked he, out he Paul is.
1: Heyman. He is. He's the heel and, and Brock's the babyface. And I don't think a lot of fans have gotten that yet. And that's sad. One other
0: thing I wanted to mention about heels, and this is a, a non-wrestling example, but it's, it's one that's kind of universally used, is mm-hmm. how, how good is the hero without his villains? Yeah. Exactly. What, what's Superman without Lex Luthor? What's Batman without the Joker?
1: Which has always been my take on when, when, I, when I heard from the old-timers, what I brought up earlier. Well, the heel's the most important. If you don't have good heels, you're going to have a terrible territory or a terrible promotion. My comeback as a babyface was, well, it ta- it's a two-way street. Um, because of what you said, it's true. It's probably easier to find a good handful of heels and then find some babyfaces to throw them in there against. But I think as time has changed and wrestling has, you know, kayfabe has been broken and those gray areas have come out, it is tougher to be a baby face and it is tougher to be a true heel in today's day and age. The things that heels used to do to generate heat in our politically correct society, you just can't do anymore. And that bothers me.
0: That fantastic Ernie Ladd promo. It's very oh, politically correct. Yes. Would never make the air today. If you, if you haven't seen it, just folks just search on YouTube for Ernie Ladd is awesome. And like I said, I mean, it is it is very without, politically correct. Yeah,
1: without going into any detail. <laughs> He calls the aforementioned uh, Wahoo McDaniel a drunk Indian, and it gets worse from there, okay? So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it's very racially charged. And I guess the reason that bothers me is this, is that if wrestling is is known now by fans to be nothing but pure entertainment, why can we watch a movie or a television show and see the bad guys on those say awful, despicable things and do awful, despicable acts that are not politically correct – because the writers and producers of those shows and movies want to get you to understand that this is the bad guy and you're supposed to hate him. But we can't do that in pro wrestling. Why? I do not understand that, and it drives me nuts. I have no answer for that. I mean, I it, just, it just absolutely boggles my mind. When we go and watch a movie, you see a Nazi, you see a Klansman, they're universally automatically, we know they're a heel. Right, Mm -hmm. of course they are. They're despicable human beings that believed in the genocide of a group of people who are are racial, racist, and and supremacists of their own ethnic background. But you can't do that in wrestling. Okay, whatever. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. (sighs) I think it's a good time to take a break so I can take some of my meds and when we come back, maybe we can talk about some some of the great heels and did some of these less than politically correct things, but they were awesome. Does that sound like a plan to you? Yep,
0: sounds good to me. This is Classic Wrestling Memories, and we will be right back. Now available on iTunes and Stitcher. Geekville Radio. Geekville Radio is a show dedicated to news and subjects in the world of geekery. Superheroes, science fiction, comics, gaming, TV. If it qualifies as something for nerds or geeks, you'll find it at Geekville Radio. From one quarter of the creative team that brings you the A1 podcast, Geekville Radio is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and at geekvilleradio.com. For gaming-oriented podcast, then look no further than You Just Got Fragged. Join host Jared Aubrey and his panel of enthusiasts as they talk the news and video games, achievements, and, of course, the gripe of the week. That's all at youjustgotfragged.com, part of the K1-wrestling.com podcast family. All right, we're back. We're talking heel 101, ladies and gentlemen. And as promised, and as, as we teased at the beginning of the show, we're going to give... Each give three examples of great heels. And like I said, all three, uh, really all six of these guys that we're going to name, spent the majority of their career as heels. You'd be hard-pressed to find any of them, with the possible exception of one or two, uh, with, with babyface runs. And perfect example for me, yep. everything about this man was a heel. He, he looked like a heel. He talked like a heel. He wrestled like a heel. He even walked like a heel. And I am speaking of ravishing Rick Rude. And the thing about Rick Rude is really he, he was not a bad looking guy at all. He just had what I would call a very punchable face. You know, <laughs> you, you, you just wanted to punch him. Uh, and his his promos before his matches are perfect examples of heels. He's putting over himself. He cool. ca- calls everybody fat, out of shape, yada, yada, yada. I, there was even one WCW pay-per-view where he would start his what I'd like to have right now. And the booze just erupt. And now, granted... He's working it. He's milking it. He's being a worker. So he puts the mic down and kind of shakes his head in disgust that he's being uh, disrespected this way and picks the microphone again, starts the what I'd like to have right now. And the booze just erupt again even louder. And he does that like two or three more times before he finally gets through his promo. But specific examples of him being a heel, he did one of the most despicable things a man could ever do whether it's wrestling or real life, you know, he tried to seduce another man's wife and, you know, quite frankly, tried to do it again with, with uh, uh, Fifi when he was feuding with flair and WCW. I mean, can you, it, again, goes back to something like that fits into the seven deadly sins as well. Sure.
1: Sure. I, I think the more well-known and effective uh, of that angle was when he tried to get Cheryl Roberts. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, arrogance i think is uh, uh, or overconfidence i think is a trait that is very effective on on a good heel and how arrogant do you have to be to have another man's wife's face spray painted airbrushed onto your trunks right on your privates are you kidding me how awesome was that that was that's one of my favorite feuds of all time yeah um, partly because of the two participants partly because it was a very clear-cut defined good guy versus bad guy how how am i supposed to cheer? Cheer for this guy when he is trying to steal another man's wife. That's pretty simple.
0: So who who do you have for your first pick?
1: Um, you know I'm gonna go back a little bit, like I did last week when I brought up Bruno as my first baby face. So I'm gonna go to his contemporary. I think and you know down in the NWA in the same time frame in the '60s, '70s, and that's Handsome Harley Race. Um, a lot of old, a lot of newer fans don't know that was his original gimmick. Mm. Um. How much more arrogant it is to see a guy who, let's be honest, Harley would admit this. I mean, he's not your classically good-looking guy. I mean, he's not a troglodyte, but he's not, a, you know, he's not uh, even a ruggedly handsome good man. But to call yourself handsome, Harley Race, come on, that's more that arrogance we're talking about. And mm-hmm. um, I know you had discussed with me you thought he was a great heel, but by your own admission, you really were only familiar with his run as a manager in WCW. You were not familiar with his run in the 70s in the NWA as champion. Correct, Right. Cor- correct.
0: Uh, I, I was never a tape trader. Uh, so most of my viewing of Harley and his prime are mm-hmm. quite frankly, you, you know, uh, YouTube clips.
1: Right. And so the thing with Harley is I think the mystique of Harley being a legitimate tough guy um, is the thing that I think most current fans know. So they don't understand that he was a despicable heel during his run. He had no problems pulling nuts. He had no problems putting his feet on the ropes. He had no problems trying to finagle his way out of fair matches. He would always try to stack the deck in his favor. Um, I think probably the easiest to find for uh, current fans is at the end of his career uh, because it's on the networks on YouTube. And it's we have played it many, many times uh, on this podcast on a one. We played it in our in our very first episode. when We talked about Stark 83. And that's the famous "take the damn money" promo, mm-hmm. and it's it's not just the promo that makes him a heel. It's the the concept behind what led to that promo. This is the world champion who is supposed to be a tough sob, a great athlete, and he is so wanting to avoid the fair fight that has been dictated t- to him by his bosses. Essentially, the NWA, he is willing to pay and publicly announce he's willing to pay anybody who will. Injure. Cripple. Put the guy out of wrestling. That would be Ric Flair at this point. The guy he's supposed to wrestle. I can't think of anything more underhanded or heelish than that in in an attempt to avoid a fair fight. Can you? No. No. I mean,
0: we'll may we have an example, a similar example, uh, in in a little bit. But yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think any fair-minded person that would see a promo like that would be like, what's stopping you from doing it
1: yourself? Exactly. I mean, so you've got the cowardice there. But then there's layers to the, the the evil. I think to that whole angle in that promo is is what we've brought up already. The cowardice. But then he's 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 also once again back to the seven deadly sins. He's applying greed. He's getting other people to think about taking money to cripple another man and and to take it even further. If you go back and listen to that promo, he doesn't just call out the heels and ch- and, and and say hey take take the damn money. He calls out some baby faces. Right, and says, "Hey, you, you guys take the money. This guy's so dastardly. He's even trying to get the good guys to turn bad. I mean, it's like doubly evil. That—that's just one of the greatest heel angles I can ever think of. It's just right, awesome."
0: Right. He was reaching out to Jack Briscoe because I don't—I uh, don't think the Briscoes had, had turned yet at that point. No, right? they
1: did. Of course, they did. Of course, turn before that to face Young Blood Steamboat. But no, they hadn't turned yet. He called out Dick Slater in that. Dick Slater had not turned heel. In fact, that was the key to that whole angle was it led to Dick Slater and Bob Orton Jr., Randy Orton's father, turning heel and jumping Ric Flair. So his impassioned speech got two babyfaces to give in to greed, That seven deadly sins, and they become heels out of it too. There you go. Mm-hmm. All
0: right, well, my next pick is a man who are, well, he was trained to wrestle, obviously, cause he, you, uh, but he was more of a talker, uh, arguably the greatest manager of all time, you say he wrestled like a manager and managed like a wrestler, and that is the one and only Bobby the Brain Heenan.
1: There is no argument he is the greatest manager of all time. The other great managers will tell you he's the great, but I digress.
0: But um, so many great promos, uh, I, I'm, I'm hard-pressed to single out uh, one of them just because they're, they're so great. And here's the thing about Bobby Heenan. You know, He and Gorilla had that amazing chemistry, sure. and they were so entertaining together. You know, my monitor's kicking in and out. I'm
1: going to start kicking you in
0: and out here in a minute. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. But, Calling all the fans at Ham and Eggers and... and, and <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> wow.
0: Right. Yeah, or, or the Bushwhackers. they got a combined IQ of about three. Right. Uh, you know, so it's like, yeah, Bobby was funny. And yeah, he had some zingers. But I've said this before. When it came to that go-home promo, when he finally had to sell those tickets, he would cut that venom-spewing promo that you know, that reminds you that you hate in the end, you hate this man. Uh, and that's the best summary I can give a, a, of Bobby Heenan is, yeah, he could be entertaining, but when he wanted you to hate him, he made you hate him.
1: I think, um, one example of that, cause popped in my mind when you brought that up was you remember it was the go home promo for WrestleMania three. So we all know the setup. Mm-hmm. He's now got Andre to turn heel in his camp and they're going to face Hogan. He did a promo and I can't, I, I can't remember the exact words, but I'm sure it's on the network. He starts talking about when you join the Heenan family, you're on the way up. And when you're not, you're on the way down. Do you remember that mm-hmm. promo?
0: Yeah. And I think he said something similar to Andre a few years later when, when Andre turned on, turned on him. Right. and uh, he, 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 he was, it was almost like a bookend promo.
1: Yeah. But I mean, that, that I think is a prime example of what you're talking about. That go home promo. You're talking about, you know, so you can't think of any one specific thing. Cause his, his whole career was nothing but a bunch of <laughs> <laughs> yeah. heelish tactics.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, here, here here's one, and uh, we'll we'll touch on this again a little bit later. WrestleMania eight, uh, and Bobby okay. was Bobby was doing commentary at the time, but he had the alliance with Ric Flair, and mm-hmm. Randy Savage beats Ric Flair for the WWE World Title, and Bobby Heenan leaves his position at the announce desk to go back to talk to Flair and Mr. Perfect, and here he is blatantly claiming that. The shoulder, the shoulder was up, and the referee was was stupid and dumb and didn't catch it, even though it's blatantly on camera that the shoulders were down. You know, so he's lying to cover up his own lies. Basically, it's it's one of those cases of the pathological liar will come up with bigger lies to cover up when his previous lies are fig- are, are, are figured out. You know, does that make sense?
1: Oh yeah, it's like you said, putting his own spin on things. You said that in your list of four things that a heel always does. Mm-hmm. And, like I said, that is one of the ways you can be an effective heel. That, why do you cheat? Because you can't beat them fair and square. And lying and cheating are essentially the same thing, are they not? Yeah, agreed. Because
0: if you're a good enough liar that you start distorting people's minds and uh, opinions on things, well, you do that well enough. That's like cult leader status level of creepiness. Yeah, I was
1: going to say, we can, we, can, we can probably bring up a lot of, of real world examples of what we're talking about. You know, Jim Jones and Adolf Hitler come to mind right away, but I'm sure the list doesn't stop there, you know. But um, if, if you're going to talk about a manager, I guess I'll make my next pick a, a manager as well. And, and I might add before I, I bring that bring this up. Managers are another things lost nowadays, and they were so effective at generating heel heat. Right. Um, and and um, I think Jim Cornette is who I am going to talk about, about next. Um, I think we both agree he much like Rick Rude just has a face you want to punch. There, it goes to that thing we were talking about where you kind of got to play the hand that's dealt you and you got to do, you know, it's like why Goldberg was not effective as a heel because his heart wasn't in it. I think some of the most effective heels are guys that just naturally outside of the wrestling business are not likable people uh, unless, uh, and I'm not saying that they're, they're crotchety guys. It's just, they're, everybody's met that person that kind of rubs them the wrong way when they first meet him. And if they take the time to get to know them, they'll find out they're okay but the problem is how many people really want to take that time when the person is so offsetting to begin with, correct?
0: Right. Uh, wrestling, I think as a whole, uh, especially even when it's good, uh, wrestling is a very first impressions type
1: right. environment. Well, I think Jim Cornette is a prime example of that. Uh, he's very opinionated. And I'm talking as, as a manager on screen and behind scenes, and of course is now that his career is over his, you know, his shoot interviews where he spews forth his venom is kind of legendary. I think now on the internet, um, but for his actual wrestling career, uh, he just was one of those guys that as Jim Ross put it, you're easy to dislike. And that's not a bad thing in wrestling, <laughs> you know, just naturally not, don't want to like this guy. And I think that this also plays into Bobby Heenan and all great managers. We talked about earlier that, that you know, the real key to when wrestling's really drawn money is when you got that hot heel that is, you just, you, you're willing to pay money to see him get beat up and get his comeuppance. Well, if you, if you extrapolate that out further, you can look at some of the heels that we're talking about. Look at Harley Race. Look at Rick Rude. The average cr- fan sitting in the crowd, no matter how emotional they are, has got enough sense to go, if I was to get this guy one-on-one, he would kill me. Correct? Yes. But they see somebody like Bobby Heenan or Jim Cornette, and they go, well, mm-hmm. you, you see yeah. where I'm going with that? Like, right. There's always that. I think that's why the manager's so effective, and why Jim Cornette's so effective, he just looks like the guy that everybody could whoop. You know, right. it looks like you know your, 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 your nine-year-old niece could kick this guy's butt. He's just zero athleticism whatsoever. You know? And then yeah. he's out there running his mouth. And, of course, we know that he's running his mouth to – and he's not even doing the dirty work. It, it, it's his stable or his team or whoever he's managing. And Cornette was brilliant at that. He'd right. always put the Midnight Express up in front of him after running his mouth.
0: Exactly. That, that, that's what I was going to say is a good heel manager will have that vibe of he's, he's the small uh, little wimp who's got the big scary dude as his best friend. So he can say whatever mm-hmm. he wants
1: and the big scary dude will step in front. Right. Yep. And this guy's, I mean, not even hiding the fact he's using his mother's money to buy these guys off to protect him. Mm-hmm. Whether it be Big Bubba Rogers or the Midnight Express or later on the Heavenly Bodies and Smoky Mountain. But I think one of the best examples of, of of that kind of you know just cowardice we're talking about uh, would be the initial start of the legendary Rock and Roll Express versus Midnight Express feud here in the Mid Atlantic territory in the '80s. Uh, of course, they had run this this feud already and done many of the same spots and 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 things in Bill Watts' mid south, but this was a whole different audience seeing it here in in, in Mid Atlantic because they had to deal with with Turner. So now they're on TBS, and, and, and so a nationwide audience is seeing it for the first time. And um, I sent you a clip, and it's on, it's on YouTube, um, where Cornett comes out on Worldwide Wrestling, and David Crockett's interviewing him, and he basically cuts a promo on the Rock and Roll Express and tells them straight up, we're going to lie, we're going to cheat, we're going to jump you from behind, you better watch your back. They're, they're the only thing preventing us from being the world champions, and my mama told me when something stands in your way, you get it out of the way. So, Ricky, Robert, watch out. Well, then they go to the ring, and it's a Rock and Roll Express match against two job guys. And what do you think happens after the bell rings and the Rock and Roll Express wins? Do you have to be a rocket scientist to figure out what happens next? Nope. No. <laughs> here comes Midnight Express, Bobby and Dennis in street clothes. No shirts on, but, you know, regular pants. And they, once again, fair fight. They they take the guy who's had a little bit of a beating, who was Robert Gibson, dump him to the floor, and they single out Ricky Morton three-on-one. That's, that's kind of heelish, don't you think? But three guys mm-hmm. on one guy? And right. then they proceed to beat up Ricky while Robert's still trying to get up, and they, the, rock, the Midnight Express hold Ricky up and drop him throat first onto Cornette's tennis racket. That's all heelish enough, right? Three-on-one, you jump guys from behind after they've had a match, so they're tired, all yeah, that you're, stuff.
0: You're not even be- beating him up face-to-face three-on-one you got you got to no. gang up and attack from behind.
1: Right. What really takes this to the next level of heelishness and goes to those seven deadly sins we're talking about is the next few weeks as Ricky's selling the fact he can't talk due to him being dropped throat first on the edge of the cr- tennis cr- racket. Is Cornette running his mouth even more and making it sound like he personally one-on-one beat up Ricky Morton? How, how much more heelish is that that's that arrogance mm-hmm. line put that spin on it like you said when everybody can watch the film and see he didn't do anything but hold the tennis racket dennis and bobby did all all, all the all the heavy lifting so to speak so mm-hmm. i think that's a great example of what it, of of heel 101 right there don't you absolutely so who I, you got next
0: yeah my my last pick here and i got some honorable mentions that i i think are some of the names people might be expecting us to say but my last pick for heel 101 Another guy, everything about him screams heel. Everybody outside of him and and his closest friends are peons. And I'm talking about especially in his WWF run as the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase. I know you know the story, Train. I don't know how many of our listeners do, but uh, Ted DiBiase got the million-dollar man gimmick because it was the gimmick that if Vince McMahon himself had ever pursued a career as a full-time in-ring performer, he would have given that gimmick to himself that that's what he right. would have run with. And because it's more than just, uh, the, the, the rich factor, Ted DiBiase, uh, obviously he was that stereotypical rich snob who talked down to everybody. And that was one of Vince's ideologies about it is he, Vince McMahon is smart enough to know that people do not like to think they're being talked down to
1: yep. now. Uh, Ar- arrogance. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Uh, now there's a commentary that could be made on the current product about that, but you know we we try to refrain <laughs> from talking about modern stuff. This is classic.
1: Once again, this is classic wrestling. <laughs> yeah. Not,
0: but you this know, is done
1: for those of us that enjoy when wrestling was good, not what it is today.
0: <laughs> but how often did you see Ted DiBiase talk down to people? I mean, I mean the guy who was out doing his dirty work uh, every
1: hour of every day. Virgil always talked down to Virgil. Uh, Which I think also plays into something you didn't bring up about him being a great heel is that here's a guy who's obviously a gifted athlete, a big guy. We've seen him, you know, whether he cheated or not, up to the point he cheated, he was, it was very obvious he was a great athlete. What kind (laughs) of guy like that needs to hire muscle like Virgil in the first place?
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And my gosh, Ted DiBiase takes the best backdrop I've ever seen in my life.
1: Yes, he does. (laughs) Because. (laughs) Backdrop. You're you're very correct.
0: He'll get whipped into the ropes and the, the baby face will go down, duck down for the backdrop. And Ted DiBiase is somehow able to go straight up in the air, like freeze in time for a split second, look down, get this terrified look on his face. Like, I, I uh, oh, no, the, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to die. And then does the flip and, <laughs> and lands on his back.
1: <laughs> and a lot of guys don't want to take backdrops. I love taking them. Uh, I've always felt that if you want to be a good heel of that ilk, taking a backdrop ought to be something you better learn how to do because uh, some other great heels are going to list here. If you notice, they all took backdrops a lot. You know, it was it's, it's a big high spot. You know, simple move where you're bumping yourself and you can protect yourself. That oh crap, this we're, we're getting what we paid for. Where this bad guy's getting his butt whooped. DiBiase. I just brought up Bobby Eaton used to take beautiful backdrop. You know, you see what I'm saying? <laughs> it's just a lot of guys that were. Um, that's just a great move to take if you're, if, you're, if you're going to be an effective heel, in my opinion. I, I call them all the time, my matches. And unfortunately, some guys don't like taking them. So anyway. Going back to Rick Rude, I remember...
0: Yeah, Rick took a good backdrop. Yeah, I, I, I remember him getting in Sting's face and Sting rallying up. I think this was at Spring Stampede, I want to say, uh, which mm-hmm. was a, a WCW pay-per-view that I, I, I attended. And Sting fired up and gave him the backdrop while Rick was still in his rope. So Rick mm-hmm. went up and the, and the robe like flaps and he's, he's like kicking his legs and, <laughs> you know,
1: mm-hmm. exactly. The whole visuals is all there. Uh, let me tell you a couple of really quick stories. I, I, for our listeners and for you, cause I don't know if you've heard these, Seth, about the whole million dollar man gimmick. I think you'll find quite fascinating. Mm-hmm. We'll pull the curtain back here a little bit. Um, first off, we all remember when he would do the job matches on the old superstars and the old WWF syndicated shows, he would, he would, Use a million-dollar dream, put the guys out, and then shove the $100 bill in their mouth, correct? Right. The guys got to keep that. That was part of your, your, your compensation for, uh, you know, hey, if, if, you, if, you, if you do the job tonight and, and get, you know, get put asleep, you get to keep the $100 bill that Ted shoved in your mouth. So I thought that was nice. Now, um, <clears throat> they also told Ted back in the day, they would literally give him stacks of $100 bills out of petty cash every night when he was in a mm-hmm. different town and would purposely tell him to get the gimmick over. Now we want you to go into a um a 711, a gas station, and get like a pack of bubble gum and pay for it with a $100 bill. That's how hardcore they wanted to get that gimmick over in his arrogance, you know. Yeah. Anybody who's ever worked as a cashier knows there's nothing mm-hmm. worse than somebody handing you a large bill for something under a dollar. Is that not, you know, that's just ridiculous. Uh, I so. I know
0: exactly how that feels. And one other thing, uh, I don't <laughs> I don't mean to s- steal your thunder here, but Mm-hmm. When when he was doing that gimmick in full swing, he was flying first class everywhere. WWE was putting him on the, on the jets, and the only other two guys that were flying first class everywhere at the time were Hogan and Andre.
1: Yep, and Andre's just simply a matter of, not just because he was a huge star, there just wasn't room for him in coach because of his size. Mm-hmm. So Bruce Prichard, who of course worked many years behind the scenes at WWF and has his own podcast, Told a story about Million Dollar Man. I found hilarious. He never fully got the gimmick, by his own admission, and he told the story a few weeks ago on his podcast. Um, but he was somewhere with Vince McMahon, uh, and this was right after Ted had come in and was doing the Million Dollar Gimmick, Million Dollar Man gimmick. And uh, it was i don't know, it was at the theater or somewhere. But this was back in the '80s when you could smoke in public. And for those of you who don't know, Vince McMahon hates the smell of cigarette smoke, pipe smoke, cigar smoke. It just—he can't stand it. it, it I mean. Uh, when any of the guys, stoop, or staff, do smoke, they don't let Vince know they do it and they do it outside away from the building just is what it is.
0: Yeah. I have heard those stories. Yeah.
1: So Bruce and Vince are sitting, like I said, I think it was in a play or something. This guy's two or three ro- uh, rows behind him and he lights up a cigarette and he says, um, Vince turns around. Hey pal, you want to put that out? No, I paid for my ticket. Turns around. Hey pal, I'll pay you a hundred bucks if you, if you put your cigarette out. Okay. And this goes on and on. And Vince continues to increase it till he gets to the point where he's like, hey, pal, I'll give you $500 and I'll pay for your ticket if you put your damn cigarette out. And eventually the guy takes the money and Vince gives him 500, pulls out a, a stack of cash, gives him $500 and whatever the price of the ticket to this event was. And then turns back around and looks at Bruce Pritchard and said, see, I told you, buddy, everybody's got a price. That's <laughs> literally where, where that gimmick came from. So when he right. says, this is the gimmick I would give myself, he meant it. You know, that. that, anyway, I thought you'd enjoy that story and our listeners would too.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And there's another side story on that. This really isn't heel, although it involves a a guy who could make this list of great heels. Uh, When Vince gave Ted that offer, Ted called up Terry Funk and, you know, to get to get his opinion. And Terry Funk said, I I can't do Terry Funk very well. But, uh, you know, Terry basically told him, "Okay, so Vince McMahon is giving you the gimmick that he would give himself. Pack your bags and don't look back because you're getting pushed to the moon.
1: You, you want me to do Terry Funk saying that? Sure, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> well, t- Teddy, I, I don't know, Teddy. If Vince says that's what he'd do, I don't know what you got to think about. You pack your bags and you go right now. Is that pretty good, Terry Funk? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and people have to remember, Vince didn't tell Ted that. That that was when Ted was, before he made that the call you are talking about to, to, to Terry Funk, that Patterson's the one that said, look. If Vince was to wrestle, this is the gimmick he would give himself. That's how Pat was trying to sell him on it. So
0: We'd be cheating our listeners out of uh, something if we didn't bring up the great moments that made Ted DiBiase, especially oh, in that, yeah. that million-dollar man run. It, it kind of goes back to what we talked about Harley, You know, having trying to pay somebody to do your dirty work. That's exactly what Ted DiBiase did. He paid Andre the Giant and hired the evil referee, Earl Hebner, the, the twin brother of Dave Hebner, so not only is it Andre the Giant, it's a crooked ref to screw Hogan out of the title, and then Andre was going to give him the belt.
1: Totally stacking the deck.
0: Yes, yes. That, that, that will always be one of the greatest angles of all time, because that is one of the first wrestling matches I ever sat down and watched. You know, mm-hmm. I, I know I, I say that I was kind of a latecomer, and it was the early 90s when I really started getting into it, but I remember watching that match in uh, 88, uh, because it was on a prime time episode of of the main event, and just standing there in shock because I just saw Hulk Hogan get pinned. Hulk Hogan is this invincible Superman, and they found a way to beat him, and they and they cheated to do it. And that promo that Hogan cut in the end, where he is openly weeping that he was screwed out of the title, that's the type of stuff that you know I, I gravitate to when I when I when I like to watch wrestling. And then just to wind it up, it led to WrestleMania Four. Where they did the big tournament. It's actually one of my favorite WrestleManias. Sometimes I feel like I'm the only one that thinks that, but, uh, but you know, you know, you know me, trying my sucker for tournaments.
1: Yeah, my thoughts on that one is meh. <laughs> anyway, but
0: you know, he failed to win the world title at WrestleMania Four, and once again, Andre's role was to eliminate Hogan. Andre wasn't in that that tournament to win. He was in it to get rid of Hogan. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, Randy Savage beats Ted DiBiase for the world title WrestleMania Four. What happens a few months later? Ted DiBiase can't win the world title, so he just builds his own belt or has his own belt made and declares himself his own champion. I mean, that million is the one over million-dollar
1: champion. And then never that's defended awesome. the belt. <laughs> you know? No, never defended it. And, it. and it goes back to those seven deadly sins. I mean, that's just greed and, 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 and arrogance and all those this nasty things we can think of. What kind of jerk? I can't think of another word to describe it comes out and has his own belt made just so he can sc- proclaim himself a champion and then refuse to defend it. That's just the height of it. I'm um, wow. Yeah. T B I C was a great heel. I mean, and, and just wanted to see somebody shut him up. Didn't you? Mm-hmm.
0: It's, it's not even necessarily that you want to see him beat up. It's you want to see him eat crow.
1: Yes. Yes. And, and so, yeah, I can't, I can't find any argument for Ted DiBiase. Um, my last guy, we, we talk about all the time uh, on A1, and I, I think he's underrated because of the other guys that were around him in his era. But I still think, for my money, one of the greatest heels of all time has got to be that son of a bitch, Tully Blanchard. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to get any argument from you, am I?
0: Well, there's a reason why we both cut promos on Tully Blanchard last week.
1: <laughs> uh, Tully, um, if there wasn't, if, if arrogance is an important part to a lot of lot of heels, Tully definitely had that, and and I'm not trying to speak out of turn because I do know the man. I think some of that was legitimate, but if you look at his actual amateur athletic background in football, uh, he was probably one of the better athletes in his prime uh, in the Mid Atlantic territory, which is where you know his most well known national run. Also, of course, had that killer run with the Horsemen, right? And and you got to realize, no no offense to all the other guys in the Horsemen, but other than Luger. Everybody else didn't have a, an athletic background that, that, you know, compared to Tully's. Tully was a, you know, he was a starting quarterback and punter at West Texas State. He had a legitimate athletic background. Um, and the other guys, yeah, Luger played college ball, some pro ball. Flair played a couple of years of college ball. Barry Windham played a year or two of college ball. He just had the best. And so that, that arrogance came through, I think. Um, and obviously, if you look at Tully, he was, he was, not one, was never the biggest guy in wrestling. Uh, but just everything about Tully, I think Tully falls into that once again, that category of he's just a face you want to hit, you know, that's exactly what I was
0: going to say. Yeah. He also had that punchable face
1: and being a smaller guy who was such a gifted athlete gave him that ability as a heel to what we were talking about with Heenan and Cornette and the managers, the crowd's going, well, I can't beat Luger, but that Blanchard guy, you know, I forget Arn, he's too big, but. I think I could take, you see what I'm saying? So that, that automatically helps him in being an effective heel was the fact that he was a little bit on, on the shorter side. And I could give a lot of examples of what great examples of what, of Tully Blanchard being a heel. Um, But I think probably the most uh, easy to find online, and it goes into what we talked about earlier about PC stuff was when he dumped baby doll. He physically put his hands on a woman on national television. He slapped her across the face. That would never see the light of day uh, in today's wrestling. But can you think of a more low-down, dirty thing, especially in light of today's sensitive feelings towards domestic violence and, and men on violence on women? You see my point? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I mean, Baby Doll up until that point was a despicable, despised heel as much as Tully was. She was part of the package, she mm-hmm. had helped him in his feud against Magnum TA. She had helped him in his feuds against dusty Rhodes, So she was just as hated as he was. And yet he still put his hands on her and slapped her and told him he owned her. And I mean, it was just, it's, I mean, you go back and watch it today. It's very shocking. It was pretty shocking in in the eighties too, you know? Um, but I can't think of a more heelish thing to do. And once again, I I bring up, I know that would never happen today in wrestling. And I just don't know why you want to get a guy over as a heel. Let him slap it. It's baby doll. Right. Have you ever seen, you ever seen Nicola? She's not a small gal. I mean, I don't, she's not fat. She's like six foot tall and she was trained to be a wrestler. Both her parents are wrestlers. She can handle it. She got in the business, you know? Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot of ones, but that's probably the one that just really sticks out to me the most with Tully. And, and, and a, a side note, you, you said this, put your spin on things to this very day, to this very day, Tully will say in and out of character, I never said I quit against Magnum TA quite technically. If you go back and watch the match, he didn't. He just said, when the ref asked him, do you give up? He said, yes. Right. But once again, everybody knows what he was saying. We know he was quitting. We know he was giving up, but he just can't admit that. I never said I quit. Just great, great example. I think uh, of a heel, um, just about anything you watch Tully Blanchard, you're going to see great heel work run, uh, you know, willing to take the fight when it was, when it was to his advantage, but when the, no, yeah, yeah. He's the prime example. Of what I was talking about that a heel heals. What makes a heel is simply one thing. They will cheat or take the shortcut when they can't out wrestle or outsmart the other guy. And Tully Blanchard, he does that in every match, every right. promo. That was right.
0: Him. He would be the perfect example of a guy. And I, it, it, I'm sure it's probably happened in a tag match, but it, it, Mm-hmm. Even if it didn't, it would fit him perfectly. Say he's say he's tagging with the other horsemen against Dusty and some of the other uh, baby faces, and he would tag in when, Dusty, when Dusty's down, you know, and he'd, he'd stomp Dusty and mm-hmm. put maybe put him. in But if Dusty started to fire up, as soon as Dusty got to his feet, he would tag back out.
1: <laughs> oh, he did that all the time when they were wrestling the Road Warriors. <laughs> yeah. Him and Arn. That, he did that. He about, he did that spot all the time. I've seen that spot a million times. I see him do it against the Rock and Roll Express. I mean, y- you name it. Any of those top baby face teams. In the Mid Atlantic Crockett territory in the eighties, they 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 worked at some point against you know Arn and Tully or or Tully and you know Flair. One of the, one of the, any combination of the Horsemen and mm-hmm. Tully was always that guy. He was the one. He'd he'd want the tag in when they were down, and he'd keep it up, and then they make a little comeback, and he would quickly run over to his corner and make make a tag. He didn't have nothing to do with it. So uh, yeah, uh, I love Tully as as a person, but he was a great heel. I mean, I told him. When I met him the first time, you are a, you are a one half of the major reason I became wanted to become a professional wrestler. You and Magnum, and and I said I hated you. I wanted him to beat you up so bad. And he was he just was beaming said thank you that I did my job.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think you you had told me uh, before because we, we've had the long running gag that when something goes wrong on the a one wrestlingcom dot com show, we find some way to blame that son of a bitch <laughs> Tully Blanchard. And I think mm-hmm. he'd take that as a compliment. <laughs>
1: Oh, he would. He would. And, and it's so weird knowing that he's now a minister and does all that work, you know, with the prison population and everything mm-hmm. to think that this guy. But I mean, it is it's it, it's. he's don't get me wrong. He's not the same miserable person that he was back then outside of wrestling, because I didn't know him back then. But I've heard the stories, you know, yeah. obviously uh, the guy I know is still, though, is a little bit crotchety. And he's he, he's still tell you his opinion. I mean, he's there's still there's still it's. It's not an easy person to get to like at first, I guess, is what I'm saying. Even now. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it is what it is. There's still a little bit of that arrogance there. Tully's Tully, and, and Tully knows Tully's Tully, so that's fine. But for what it's worth, uh, I mean, I know this is Heel
0: 101. I remember back to that awful Heroes of Wrestling show in the uh, early 90s. Mm-hmm. Tully actually cut a babyface promo on that show. And it was probably the best thing in the entire show, which granted is a little, a little praise. <laughs> You're really a genuinely put the good bar
1: there, aren't you? <laughs> Let's see if we can jump over this bar. that's only six inches off the ground. But anyway, yeah.
0: <laughs> but, uh, I, I, I want to play this. This to me is one of the greatest heel moments of all time. And it's ravishing Rick Rude challenging rick flair for the big gold belt i think they called it the international world title at the time
1: yeah it was like the wcw international title yeah
0: flair i got one thing to say to you boy just called rick flair boy tonight when i leave this arena not only am i gonna have your reputation not only am i gonna have your world title
1: belt but rick flair i'm gonna have your woman
0: and then he's, and then he's got Fifi on the tights. <laughs> that, that to me is just a, a perfect example yeah. of, of Rick Rude. Whoa.
1: Well, you know, that, that's funny. You bring up that, that, uh, promo Seth, cause I think the one guy we agree on and we're going to talk about is the greatest of all time heel or baby face, but also a great example of one of the greatest heels of all time. And that's the nature boy, Rick Flair. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And Rick Flair as a heel, uh, is the perfect example of the villain that didn't always need to cheat. You know, he didn't. No. he didn't cheat to beat say, and I'm just throwing out names here. You know, Thunderbolt Patterson or, or Bugs and McGraw, but he had to cheat to beat Dusty. He had to cheat to beat. Oh, Magnum. he even
1: cheated against those guys though, man. Come on, I, I saw him cheat against George South. No offense, George. <laughs> 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 on on World- that was what made him such a great heel. He didn't have to take the shortcut; and he'd still take it. How, how awesome is that? Well, well, yeah. You,
0: you just triggered a memory. I remember some match he he had. I, I forget who it was, but it, it it was a enhancement talent. And I think he, I think he used knucks, pulled the tights, and had his feet on the ropes. There you go, <laughs> <laughs> dirtiest player in the game. I
1: mean, <laughs> he make you talk about stacking the deck. There, there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we could. I mean, obviously, Ric Flair. Had several effective and, and money-drawing runs as a babyface. But the bulk of his career was, was a heel. And he will admit he, he was a better heel. He enjoyed being a heel. Um, when you talk about arrogance, when you talk about putting your own spin on things, nobody,
0: nobody comes close to Ric Flair now, do they? No. No, I mean, there's people that don't even watch wrestling that much. And they, they'll agree that he's one of the greatest of all time.
1: For God's sakes, he's the self-proclaimed dirtiest player in the game. You get more heelish than the fact you admit that you will break the rules (laughs) when you get the chance? Come on. I think that kind of says it all.
0: Yeah, and really, part of the appeal to Flair, and and I think this is by design, and it's, uh, you can say it's heelish, you can say it's just playing on, uh, again, some of those seven deadly sins, but I do think a lot of fans, even though they would want to see Rick Flair get get his comeuppance. How many people wouldn't want to wear that suit and you know ride ride in the limousines and the jet planes and all that stuff? You know, right,
1: <laughs> right. And then you rub your nose at every chance he got. Right. I, I think for me, one of the greatest examples of, of Flair just being a, a pure evil heel. Um, and it kind of plays into all these things. we're talking about: jealousy, uh, uh, underhanded tactics, numbers game, the whole thing was uh, a famous a famous angle. Uh, to run a summer where they were trying to get him and Ricky Morton in a feud. And of mm-hmm. course Ricky was already part of the Rock and Roll Express, so he was established as a, a tag team guy. They needed to do something to establish him as a as a singles guy. And we talked last week on Babyface 101, the the you know the slapping and the breaking of flair sunglasses and, you know, Ricky cutting that great babyface promo on Ric Flair. Well here's a great example of Flair returning the favor but in a heelish manner. Um they had played up the fact that part of that promo that I talked about last week on Babyface Hold On was this. Rick was jealous. Rick was jealous of Ricky Morton because Ricky was getting a lot of attention from the females. Mm-hmm. And we're going to back to Seven Deadly Sins, jealousy. So they had a six-man tag match on, I think it was World Class, World Championship Wrestling. It might have been Worldwide or Mid-Atlantic Championship. But anyway, it was the Rock and Roll Express and Dusty against Tully Arn and Rick. uh, After. Ricky Morton rolled up Ric Flair and pinned him yet again on television, establishing Ricky as a viable, even though he's a tag team guy, as a viable you know threat to Ric Flair's title. The four horsemen go backstage, and the cram crew follows them, and go into the, the Babyface's locker room, and Dusty's not there. It's just Ricky and Robert. And all the other horsemen jump Robert. So you've got now you've got a, a, a four on two because J.J. Dillon's with them. And Tully Arn and, and JJ are putting the boots to Robert and holding him down, and Rick jumps Ricky from behind and rubs his face in the concrete. And it's very graphic. There's blood. And Ricky sold it for, for months, wore a protective mask, and his nose is broken, and his eyes are all blacked up. And then Flair comes out and cuts promos about, let's see if the girls like him now. Look at his face now, girls. He had done a similar promo, a similar angle in the 70s to Ricky Steamboat. But those are examples this one was even worse, I think, than the steamboat one, because he he had friends to help him because he even he even had friends to help him stop Ricky Morton's you know it wasn't even a fair fight. You understand what I'm saying? It was four mm-hmm. on two, and to make sure that the guy eventually Dusty and Sam Houston and Magnum and a few of the baby faces come out and run him off, but the damage had been done by that point but to cut to attack a guy, not to beat him, not not to put him out of wrestling, just to mess his face up. Because he's getting too many of the girls, and now the girls aren't gonna like him because he's "quote unquote" ugly and scarred up. Is, is there anything more heelish you can think of than that? You'd be hard pressed. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the epitome of jealousy, don't you? Hmm. You got any good examples you you personally remember of Ric Flair being a
0: great heel like that? Absolutely. Uh, let me see if I can cue this up here. WrestleMania Eight. Yeah, this was the moment that kind of flipped a light switch for me on Ric Flair. I brought up this promo before. Uh, Randy Savage had just beaten him for the world title, and you know defended Elizabeth's honor and all that. And was this
1: the match where they got in a little bit of trouble because they got a little juice, even though they yes. weren't supposed to?
0: Yes, and because Ric Flair cut the promo backstage, uh, and his face was had, had had the dried blood on it, and he he said, yeah,
1: "That's I, I think him and Randy agreed to that, even and they didn't get permission, but oh well." I think as a, as a story goes, I heard Flair went to Randy and said, You know, I think if we get a little color, it's going to make this go a little further. And of course, Randy's like, Yeah, I, th- I think that might work there, uh, Rick. Let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of how it went. So uh, <laughs> we just don't tell Vince about it because we might get in a little trouble. You know, easier to get forgiveness than it is to get permission. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah. It goes back to my thoughts about the heel never admits that the babyface was the better man. Rick Flair basically took the road of, okay, you did it once, now let's see you do it again, you know, and uh, you know, trying trying to basically say that it was a fluke, and you had Bobby saying that that Savage cheated and all that.
1: Well, play the promo. Let's hear it. We don't cry over spilt milk. We reassemble a team. The money, the brain, the nucleus, and we say to our opponents, "You did it once. Now let's see you do it again.
0: One time means nothing." So yeah, he got beat, and now he's trying to say that beating him didn't matter. You know, <laughs> doesn't
1: matter, doesn't matter. I just lost the real title. Doesn't matter. Yeah, that, that's arrogance one hundred and one, isn't it? <laughs> it's
0: almost like the I dare you to cross this line. I dare, okay, I dare you to cross this line.
1: You know <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, I think I think uh, I think we gave some really great examples of you know some of the more well-known baby faces, but there's obviously other people that we didn't mention that are also great baby faces that are worth our listeners taking uh, a look into. Heels. Um, who are some of the ones you could think of we didn't mention but just maybe mention their names so they can some of our wrestling fans that listen to this podcast can look them up on their own time
0: well yeah I gave the three of my my examples of great heels here are the honorable mentions some of them arguably could have made a, a top three list but again many of them had great runs as baby faces as well so you know the, you could put them on the list of people that could do both very very well the first one who I almost did put on my list is Jake the Snake Robbers. Uh, especially when you started talking about Seven Deadly Sins. Oh, mm-hmm. the promo Jake could cut, dissecting all that.
1: His um, heel run against Randy Savage was incredible.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Again, another example of, you know, he, he slapped a woman. He slapped Elizabeth. You know, mm-hmm. how much more dad, and, and and then bragged about it, about how good it felt, you know. Yep. Uh, uh, Hulk Hogan, you know, H- Hogan had a great career as a heel before and after his Hulkamania run. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Funks, uh, uh, Mick Foley is Cactus Jack, uh, Shane Douglas, you know, franchise Shane Douglas, there's nothing babyface about that character.
1: Nope. Uh, Ole Anderson
0: and Paul Heyman.
1: Those are all good ones. Some other ones I'd like to throw in there, Abdul the Butcher, as you brought out when we talked about the first the first arcade, it's what, two minutes into the, uh, 20 seconds in the match and he's already pulled out a foreign object. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't get more heelish than that. Um, when they were heels, Demolition, incredible heels. Um the Hart Foundation, incredible heels when they when when they were heels. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Gary Hart, Gary Hart, phenomenal heel. Uh, the Freebirds mm-hmm. were, were phenomenal heels, uh, especially especially Michael P.S. Hayes. Was right. anybody more arrogant and, and annoying than him and his, as a heel? It goes um, back
0: to uh, us talking about the managers, you know, the, the, the mm-hmm. guy that would hide behind the two big dudes. That's exactly what Michael Hayes did. He talked smack.
1: Behind <laughs> yeah, Buddy Jack Terry. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> exactly. Jimmy Jam Garvin. When you want to talk about the whole sexual politics and women with, with Precious and, and Sunshine, that great stuff. Um, Ole Anderson, quite frankly, he might have had the greatest heel turn of all time when he turned on Dusty in 1980. After a, a, a long run as a heel... He did finally turn babyface, and no, every, every babyface eventually came around to trust him except for Dusty. And then when Dusty got backed into a corner, he asked Oli to, to be his partner in a cage against the Assassins with Ivan Koloff, who also could be on this list, quite frankly, of great heels, um, as a special guest referee. Now, once you stacked deck, you got essentially three heels against a guy who doesn't have a, a, a partner. Dusty finally calls out Oli. Ole shakes his hand on national television. You can trust me, Dusty. I'll be there for you tonight. What did you do that night when they got to the Omni in Atlanta? Turned on him. Turned on Dusty. (laughs) That's about as heelish you can get. You know, I mean, you shook the man's hand and gave him your word on national television. That's about as heelish as that's how good a heel Ole Anderson is. I don't. I'm I'm sure we're leaving a lot of people out. We've given you a lot of names of of just great heels. Uh, There's so many, Um, but. I think, I think the fans understand now heel is not, it's not what just because a guy's big and he's tough and he may come across as a bully. That doesn't make you a heel. What makes you a heel is you simply will take the shortcut when you can't win the fair fight. Right? Right. Absolutely. And, and then anything else you put on top of that's just layers of making them more despicable. So I, I hope that kind of cleared up some things for, for people and, and, of course, I'm sure people disagree with us. Uh, if they want to disagree with us or agree with us or give us some of their favorite heels, where can they find us, Seth?
0: Well, they, we have a comment section at ClassicWrestlingMemories.com. The Twitter is a one w podcast because we're part of the A1-Wrestling.com podcast family. And the the Facebook is A1Wrestling. And A1-Wrestling.com does have a forum that has a lot of old-school wrestling fans on it. It's really one of the reasons why I did this show is because I, I knew how... How much of a fans of, of old school, a lot of the posters are at A1, just because I've, I've known them for so long. So those mm-hmm. are all the places you you can go to. Let us know if we left somebody out. And if there's some of these heels you want us to go into more detail about, you know, like, let's say, you know, you wanted to, to do a whole show on Ole Anderson or something like that. I'd be up for that, Train. What about you? Oh, yeah. Now, Train, if people want to talk to you, you can you can be reached on Twitter at crazytrain__jb, correct? That's correct. All right. That brings us to the end of another episode of Classic Wrestling Memories. We'll talk to you folks next week with another fun title and some more classic wrestling memories. Fans, welcome back to the show. I do have a special guest with me. He's a little crazy, not quite there, crazy Train. You got Ricky Morton next week right here in this ring. What do you have to say for yourself? Classic Wrestling Memories is part of the A1-Wrestling.com podcast family and can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and at ClassicWrestlingMemories.com and at A1-Wrestling.com. The views expressed by the hosts and guests are purely their own and do not reflect the views of A1-Wrestling.com, any of its affiliates, or sponsors. Some media used in ClassicWrestlingMemories.com is the copyright of its respective owners, all rights
1: reserved. First off, I want all these fans to shut up. I don't care anything about what y'all think. The only ones I really care about are you ladies out there that might be a nine and a half or ten. You know what I'm talking about, Seth? They're the only ones that I really care about. The rest of you does not matter. This is my time. This is when I come out here and I talk about what I'm going to do. And you just got to sit there and shut up and listen to what I have to say. So just I don't want to hear it. Don't look at me like that, Seth. I can see you looking at me like that, pal. Let me, let me say what I got to say. You know, last week, you want to bring up the fact that I kind of got involved in the Rock and Roll Expresses match and I, I might have accidentally tripped up Ricky Morton. That, that's how you see it. That, that's not really what happened. The man came over. All I'm out here is watching, scouting my opponents. I have the right to do that. I have the right to do that. And he wants to come over and get in my face and put his hands on me. I mean, that's fine. That's what you want to do. That's what you want to do. But don't get upset. When I come back out, and, and you know, I, I kind of get my hand a little close to the edge of the ring there, and you're such a klutz that you flip, you fall over my hand. It's not my fault. I mean, you were in there with with two quality opponents. Uh, you should have been paying attention to your match and not worried about me. But I can tell you what: next week, when you wrestle me, you better have your attention. You better have your attention right on me, because if you don't, I, I'm not going to worry about what the fans think. I'm going to worry about what I think, and I'm going to make sure that you're not going to be a problem because you're just a stepping stone. You're just in my way. And if I've got to cripple you, if i got to break a leg, if i got to break a nose, if i got to break an arm, so be it. That's how it's going to be. You know why? Because Mama told me so.
0: There you have it, fans. Crazy Train and Ricky Morton. Don't Next give week- me to your
1: lips, Seth. I don't need you anymore. I- I'll-, I'll finish this. There you go, okay. folks. You heard it from the horse's mouth. Get out of here, Seth. I got no time for you.